Laura Sarlon. Hello. Hello. Did I pronounce your surname right? Yes, you did. That's okay. pretty good going. Is it foreign? Um, no. I think I have some French ancestors. Right. But my immediate family are, are not foreign. Um, so you started doing comedy when you were at university. You did the Oxford Review. Um, yes, I did do one show of the Oxford Review in my last... I was just in it as the token girl in my last year. Because it's got this massive heritage. Yeah, it has. But actually, the um, at Oxford, the big thing is the Drama Society, which is called something like... It was called Ouds. Cambridge, the Footlights is massive. But the Oxford Review, yes, has a heritage, but it, it's not really as big as footlights it's okay. a small small operation well at least it was when, when so when, when you're in it I'm briefly interrupting to let you know that I'm Marsha from yesyesmarsha.com and this is from a series of interviews that I did from 2009 to 2011 called Marsha Meets which were long form interviews with stand up comedians that eventually inspired the book Off the Mic, the world's best stand-up comedians get serious about comedy. That book's out now on Bloomsbury Publishing. Back to the interview. Because there is, you know, like Amanda Iannucci did it and Michael Palin. Yeah, but there's quite a big gap between them. And I think they laid claim to Rowan Atkinson, but I think he only did the year at Oxford, like a sort of certificate. If you look at the sort of list of people, that they're quite a long time ago. They're not sort of in the last 10 years, I think. I'm just right. making up facts now. I don't know the answer to any of <laughs> But still, I can imagine that they would do that to go, well, we have the best footlights ever. So how did you get from there? Did you go straight and start doing stand-up or did you have crappy no, jobs? No, I, I kind of, I didn't really, I think main reason I didn't really have a, a job plan. I, I was one of those graduates that thought when I left, someone would ring me up from this amazing creative job and go, we've heard you've been released onto the job market. We must employ you. And I finished and then I realised everyone else had been doing work experience and applying for stuff. And I was left in this position going, oh, well, surely someone's going to want to put me in some kind of head of something interesting. Um, And then so I started doing some sketches with a friend of mine, just mainly because uh, I didn't really have anything else to do. And then I never thought that I'd end up doing it for a living. I always thought at some point I'd have to, you know, be a lawyer or something. Did you ever do straight stand-up? I tried it a couple of times, but I wasn't... I think it's a really hard thing to do. I think it's the hardest kind of comedy to do well, and I just didn't really enjoy it. It's so easy to be a kind of middle-of-the-road stand-up, I think, and the people who are really good just have a have a gift, and I didn't think I really had the gift for doing stand-up. So you started doing character stuff, yeah. but I always feel like character stuff must be quite hard to start out in because there's a lot of open mic nights and there's, yeah. you know, a lot of... Well, actually, there are some now, some good sketch nights in London. You can't gig as much as the stand-ups can because there aren't sort of... Things were all around the country. Yeah, there were, but there are lots of little sketch nights in London to try stuff out, um, and it's fun. And it's and the audiences are kind of slightly different. You don't get so much heckling, and I think you get slightly um, well, not well, sometimes friendlier, or possibly slightly more well-behaved audiences because they're not expecting to have that dialogue with the with the performer yeah. so much. I mean, yes, they can still heckle, but not so much as. Do they heckle though? Not really. Not on the nights I've done. But have you ever had heckling with with character comedy? Because um, how would you deal with that? Well, it's hard, you see, because if, if you're a character that talks to the audience directly, then you, of course you can deal with it if you're inviting participation. But if you're doing a show where you're not, then it's quite difficult because it, it's going to disrupt it. But then you tend to probably not attract that. I mean, it's quite rare. If you if you want to get pissed and go and heckle someone, you, you probably don't go and see a, a character comedy or a sketch show. You've got to know your target really right so you then you went to edinburgh first year you'd been 2005 i actually did an earnest student drama there 
Oh, did you? What was the lunchtime drama? And it was originally. This is such an earnest Oxford student thing to do. It was originally like a four-hour German play, no. and it had been made into an hour drama. And it was at twelve, and I think the most audience we had was about five. And every day at about five to twelve, you'd think, oh "God, if there's no one here, we don't have to do it." And then two, you know, earnest middle-aged people would turn up and sit down. So you do it, and it was fun. It was a lot of fun to be up there. I mean, it was a brilliant month. I wouldn't, you know, I don't regret doing it at all. But it did make me realise I wasn't really into serious acting. I didn't really have that that desire to be that earnest. I've been to see shows in Edinburgh when it's just been me in the audience. And I've been a few times to see them when it's just been me, when I've been in the Hollywood Tavern, which is where yeah. you did your first yeah. comedy thing, which is this tiny little back room of a pub. Yeah. And you were on at lunchtime. Yeah, but it was it was a very sweet venue. It was um it's moved now somewhere else at the time I thought it was great because um, it was this pub that clearly had some proper drinkers in and the festival wasn't going to stop them still being in it so you get a couple of confused looking hardcore drinkers in the corner and uh, there was a curtain dividing the room so that you just hear everything from next door. So that sort of Edinburgh way. So did you come out to baffled faces when you appeared from behind the room? Were they looking suspicious? I think they were just like, were those people um, that just drink in the same pub all the time? And if that pub got turned into a youth person nightclub, they'd still go and drink in it because that's where their beer compass takes them. They can't change. You know, they've reached an age where change is not going to happen. So they just sit in the same bar. And I love the fact that the loos in the pub were broken, the ladies' loos. They didn't think to fix them. Oh, really? <laughs> the whole time? Yeah. Oh, man. That must have been tough. I just thought it was nice. Nice thing that the biggest tourist event of the year. Just don't really bother to fix <laughs> or leave. So then you got nominated for the Perrier Award. And you thought you'd been nominated for Best Newcomer, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I got rung up and I thought. I just assumed it was Newcomer, so I was pretty pleased. And then I got to the venue and they were really, really overexcited. And I thought, that's great. Yeah, all right. And then I worked out what it was, and it was very odd. Very, very great, but very, um, I was quite overwhelmed. It was a bit of a shock. And then you won. Yeah, which was a bit silly, really. Because <laughs> I, I didn't, I was kind of happy with the nomination, and um, I really didn't expect to win at all. And I was told on the night that if you win, they take you to one side 20 minutes before they tell you just to check you're not, you know, pissed or in the loo or about to leave or whatever and so as no one came up to me I thought oh, brilliant I can relax now you know so I, when they were reading out the names I was sort of practicing my face of oh well done you know so I really didn't expect to win so it was very surprising how was your speech then I don't really remember what I said I think it was probably a bit um it, uh, like that <laughs> did no one film it or anything probably I don't want to see it I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't say it was my tightest five minutes of comedy I think it was just someone looking a bit scared, like they might cry. So it was a really big deal, not just because you were the underdog. I mean, you were up against Chris Addison and um, yeah. Jason Manford, but also you were the second woman ever to win it in 25 yeah. years. Yeah. Which is a big deal. Yeah, it is. It was. I mean, I think the thing was awards, they're really nice to win, and I don't think that anyone would ever say they didn't want to win them. But they're always going to be subjective. You know, it's a panel of people. So if it was slightly different people on the panel, someone else could have won, it could have been a different list. I mean, I, I think that's... Yeah, I was, I'm very happy to have won it and it was great and it really opened a lot of doors for me. But I think you can't take them too seriously because equally a different, you know, there'll be people around the country that would have picked a different winner and comedy so subjective. And, and how do you compare Chris Addison's stand up with me doing sort of characters and then it was uh, Justin Edwards doing Jeremy Lyon and the Dutch. I mean, it was such a kind of range of people. It's quite difficult for a panel in the end to pick one. And in the end, everyone's going to say they should have thought someone else 
should have won. So they are quite arbitrary, but lovely when when you win them. <laughs> and was it lovely? Like, did it massively change things? Had you been doing comedy full time at that point? Uh, not really. No. So it did. It really. It just. I think for some people. If you're already established, maybe it doesn't make... I know some stand-ups have said it hasn't really made that much of a difference because they're already doing the things that maybe the award would bring to you. But for me, it really did make a real difference and it really opened a lot of doors. It was a real platform. A lot of things came out of it. So for me, it was a great thing to win. And I think it's good to have an award like that in comedy that can make a difference to careers. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very pleased. So you went on from that. You did radio stuff. You were on Ed Reardon's Week, which is this kind of cult radio for... Yeah, I did a bit on that. And then I did my radio series, Talking and Not Talking, and still doing that, which is a lot of fun. Radio is a really fun thing to do. Yeah, Because you've done TV as well. You've worked with some like proper comedy legends on TV. You worked on Harry Enfield and Paul Whitehouse. Yeah, that was amazing. Sketch show. And then this year you were on Al Murray's Multiple Personality mm. Disorder. And you did your own show as well with Ben Willibond and Marek Lawwood, who's yeah. from We Are Clang, called Laura Ben and Him. Yeah. It was on ITV2. Radio and TV, this isn't a loaded question. Um, <laughs> Do you have a favourite? Is it just pros and cons to Well, you know, TV, you have to get up earlier in the morning. Oh, do you? Yeah. They're both... I, I enjoy listening and watching both. And I think now with the rise of iPlayer and internet players, I actually watch and listen to a lot more TV and radio than I used to before. I think it's something about radio that's really great because it really hones people's writing. So you're, you can't rely on silly faces or falling over. So there's something really enjoyable about radio when it works well. But then TV, you know... I love TV. A lot of people knock TV, but it's brilliant. You know, it's such a such a great thing to know is there in the corner of your room if you need it. Um, but it was great to work with. It was one of my first days of filming, actually, ever. I was just sitting in a makeup trailer in between Harry Enfield and Paul Whitehouse, which is just, you know, when I was at school, I loved Harry Enfield and Tom, so I loved that show. So it was really amazing to sit with, with sort of two legends who are both just very nice people. Are they? Yeah. And with TV, because you were saying with radio, it hands your writing, but I always think of TV as kind of being more restrictive in a lot of ways, in that just that you can get away with a bit more on radio. Yeah. Whereas... I mean, there's just the, there's freedom on radio to do anything because you're not having to build sets or find locations or mobilise all the people. I mean, so many people involved in doing filming. It's just huge creeps. So there is a freedom to that. So yeah, I do enjoy, I mean, writing for radio and doing radio stuff is great because you just turn up and record it. There's no kind of planning and hassle. Whereas in TV, it takes advanced planning and time. And But both are equally fun to do. I mean, it's, it's still weird for me to think that that's a job because I, it's enjoyable, you know, and I think you're wired to think that jobs should be slightly tedious things that you get through till you get to the weekend. So you know, when you're filming or doing radio, it's just not really a job. And how does it compare again to performing? Because I heard somewhere you'd said that you weren't that crazy about performing live. I didn't used to be. I used to make me feel quite sick doing it. I just didn't really... I was like exercise when I finished it. I was pleased I'd done it, but at the time, not really that hot on it. But then, I don't know whether it's just kind of doing it more, or I did some recordings of my radio series this year, which is with a live audience, and I kind of enjoyed it for the first time properly. I, I liked it before, but like properly looked forward to it and um, I have started doing previews I haven't really done live comedy for a couple of years and so I've been doing previews of my Edinburgh show and I've really enjoyed doing that which is a good thing because I always thought it was one thing that I was just being a bit wet over and that I needed to conquer it and start doing it properly rather than 
running away from it and not doing it. When you do your characters, mm-hmm. where do they come from? Are they based on people you know? Not really. I maybe sometimes... Oh, it sounds very pretentious to say that you sort of walk around life observing people. Uh, I don't really do that. I think of things that might be funny and then I try them out. I mean, a lot of them so come from my head, which means that sometimes they don't work at all because I spend a lot of time on my own at home writing. But some of them, I think you have to try them out, that's the thing, and, and that's always the difficult part is when they're new and they don't really work. Or they do work, but not in the way you thought. But I don't really base them on people because I think that gets a bit tricky. But you use a lot of accents and things. That's part of why yeah, I was asking if you're a bit voices. foreign. A bit foreign. Maybe I'm <laughs> a bit foreign. I'm part foreign. No, I like silly voices. I don't think they're perfect accents. I think if you you know, dropped me in the country of origin of that accent, I think people would certainly tell but yeah I like doing different accents because I'm not so good at the different ranges of an English accent but I like doing especially European accents I love European accents French and East European and German they're fun to do they help vary the show Something else I wanted to ask about was, in terms of reviews, you've had wicked reviews, Mm. sort of ever since you did that Edinburgh show. Pretty much all I've read has basically been raving about you, which is great. (laughs) Um, But one thing, people say things like, you've been compared to Catherine Tate. And does that sort of thing annoy you? Because do you think, why aren't you comparing me to David Walliams? I think it's just, dare we say it, lazy journalism. It's just easy to say what someone's like. And if you're a girl doing characters, the other, the most sort of recently famous person who does that is Catherine Tate. But I don't really do catchphrases or social stereotypes. In a way, I'm, I'm not really anything like Catherine Tate. Not to say that I wouldn't very much like to have Catherine Tate's success. I'm not knocking Catherine Tate at all. But um, I think that it's easy just to say that someone's like something else and hopefully you get to a point where when then someone will say they're like you but yeah I think that's what happens you get compared it's not necessarily because they're saying you're like them they're just trying to pluck a name to reference it for people that don't know who you are which I guess is something you need to do so your Edinburgh show you're coming back to Edinburgh is this the first time since you won yes four years later four years later I'm going back tell me about the show the show is called Rabbit Face Story Soup and um, it is Again, a character comedy show, but this time all the characters are within the same story, so I play all of them within the same world. So last time I did individual characters, but this time they're all linked. And it's the loose story. Is it's about what happens when an author of a best-selling book goes missing and everyone else has to try and finish the book. It's really an excuse for silly voices. It, it sounds a little bit like it might be a play, but it's not. Is it like a kind of tag team? Not as in tag myself out and in. No, I just, as if it was a cast, but so I just move in and out of different characters. Who's your favourite one? Um, there's like a kind of a superwoman, American superwoman boss who's mean. I like that because I can't really do mean. I don't really have any natural authority. And if I could, it would stop the youth around my flat kicking their football against my wall. But they don't. So it's nice to do a kind of silly monster character. Well, you're not ever tempted to rock one of the characters out, you know, just open the window so they can't I see you. I think that would make it worse. Not only is there the lady that comes out and her voice gets wobbly and says, please, can you stop kicking this football? And then if I came out and did a voice... I mean, so they couldn't see you just out the window. No. So they think it's... They can sense fear. <laughs> but then maybe they think they you're mental. They mock me from their BMX bikes. There's no authority from me. I could be the crossest person in the world and they would just carry on. Maybe you just need to employ a heavy. Yeah, 
or go out with an entire rugby team or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's happening in Edinburgh. You're going to be at the assembly room and then you're doing a run at the Soho Theatre. Your website for dates is laurasolon.com. Yes. Spelt S-O-L-O-N. The interweb. And up there is all the dates that you're doing at the assembly rooms in Edinburgh and then at the Soho Theatre. Yeah, Soho in, in October. Laura Solon, thanks for coming in. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening. If you like that, you'll probably love the book that I put together with Deborah Francis White called Off the Mic, The World's Best Stand-Up Comedians Get Serious About Comedy. So asking them things like, what's your writing process? How do you find your voice? What do you think about touring? How do you deal with hecklers? We interviewed 42 stand-ups, including Eddie Izzard, Sarah Millican, Phil Jupiter, Stuart Lee, Mark Maron. It's out now on Bloomsbury Publishing. If you want to find out more, go to Yes Yes marsha.com forward slash off the mic.